Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to day 28 of the 7am Novelist 50 Day Writing Challenge, first draft edition. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Happy Halloween, everybody. Uh, we have a really special day today because we're going to be talking about mystery and clarity. And this is our last day of our week talking about um, early pages of your book. And then tomorrow we're going to start talking our week about scenes. Um, just as a reminder, if you do want to go back and start listening to all of these uh, webinars from the beginning, you can always do that on the podcast. And the podcast is available on Apple, on Spotify, everything. And you can kind of just listen to them in order. If anytime you want to do your own another 50-day challenge, uh, you certainly can do that. Um, okay. So, oh, by the way, so the writers we have today are Emily Ross and Jessica Bird. Uh, if you are also following our Instagram account, uh, you saw Emily's cat uh, stretched out <laughs> in a lovely, sleepy 7 a.m. novelist manner. Um, so you can so you can find that as well. Okay, Jessica Bird is a former academic and current novelist. She completed the Novel Incubator Program as a scholarship uh, recipient. She grew up in the age of missing kids printed on milk cartons, and as a younger sister attuned to sibling dynamics wondered what life was like for brothers and sisters who didn't disappear. The fascination inspired her book, The Only Brother, a character-driven narrative with elements of mystery about grappling with grief and building relationships through loss. Jessica has taught literature and composition, ghostwritten a, a business textbook, tempt at a variety of high drama workplaces and published television recaps for now defunct web websites. An avid baker, Jessica lives in Massachusetts with her husband and two persnickety dowager cats. Emily Ross is the author of Half in Love with Death, an international thriller writer's thriller awards finalist for best young adult novel, inspired by a true crime from the 60s. She received a Massachusetts Cultural Council finalist award in fiction for Half in Love with Death. Her work has appeared in Boston Magazine, Mendes City Review, and the Young Adult Review Network. She is an editor at Dead Darlings and reviews mysteries and thrillers for the New York Journal of Books. She used to work in tech, now she thankfully doesn't. She Now she writes full-time and is currently working on The Black Sea, an adult mystery thriller set in a fictional version of her hometown, Quincy, Massachusetts. When she's not writing, she enjoys art, crime fiction, bourbon, and attempting to train her delightful and uncontrollable kitten, Obi. Okay, excellent. So these, we've got two mystery writers. Um, their work is phenomenal. And so I'm really excited to have both of you on today. We're talking today again about how to establish mystery in your story but also how not to confuse your reader um, because if they have no idea what's going on in front of them, they're not gonna be interested. Um, and I think back to, um, I had a, a, a college student um, once and he wanted to do a thesis with me and he gave me 50 pages of a manuscript that he was working on just as to give me a flavor of his writing to see if I would be good to work with him. And his 50 pages were about basically his drug experiences. And I couldn't tell what was happening on the page. I couldn't even tell if there was a character on the page. Um, so I was not invited into, even if I wanted to be, his drug experiences because there was no there there and there was no mystery there. And sadly, I said, well, I might not be the best teacher for your project. Um, so uh, Jessica, let's start with you. How, how do you establish mystery 
without, I mean, how do you find that line between mystery and clarity? Mm. Uh, I was thinking about this last night and I was trying to remember, so I actually went ahead and looked it up. It seems appropriate for today. Uh, Barry Hanna, who wrote High Lonesome, and he has this great quote, there's a ghost in every story. Something yeah. haunts the story and you're turning those pages to find out what it is. And I was thinking, great for Halloween, great for us. Um, but that sense of there's something always behind, no matter what the events are on the page, uh, no matter how kind of slowly we're being brought in or you know, hopefully quickly so we can get our readers engaged, but that there's something behind it. There's an extra layer of what's going on. Uh, but I was also thinking we need clarity in order to make space for mystery. Yeah, um, There needs to be a kind of through line of the book in order to be more shadowy places and places where we feel apprehension or feel doubt. Um, there has to be a, a kind of overarching clarity to get us through that. Yeah, you need to give us enough to even begin asking the questions that yes. create mystery, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I love that from Barry Hannah, that's amazing. Emily, how about you? Um, I think I, I can concur with Jessica, but I, I think when writing a traditional mystery, it's the, the mystery, you're almost writing um, two narratives and, and there's a narrative of something that happened that the reader is not going to know everything yeah. about. And that narrative is actually not in your book. The narrative that you're writing Thanks. is the narrative that your sleuth or sleuths um, create as they try to figure out what happened. But as you're writing, you're always conscious of that story that you've taken out of the book. Um, and so there's, maybe that's like the ghost behind the novel in a sense that as Jessica said so eloquently. Um, so you're always conscious that it's there. And it's, 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 it is difficult to kind of walk that fine line between not telling things, holding things back, but maintaining intrigue and not confusion. And I think a lot of the clarity comes in, you know, being very, very clear about setting, about seeing, about what you're giving the person and, 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 and also being very intentional about sort of when you give that information to people. Excellent. So let's dive into your books a little bit. Um, Jessica, you've been working on The Only Brother. I have read this book actually several times, several versions. Absolutely love it. It's stunning. It's thrilling. It has so much mystery to it. Jessica, how, what are some changes? How, how did you approach it at first? What are some changes that you felt yourself having to make in order to get the mystery right? Mm. Um, and I know you're still putting on the final finishes of it, but, but what sort of things have you had to um, adapt or alter as you're getting reader feedback? Yeah, um, I think, so what I should say that my book is not kind of a traditional mystery in the way, you know, some other books are, that it has these kind of elements of mystery, but it is more kind of character driven, but it's been really useful for me to think about. I mean, I think it's useful for all books to, to think about that issue of um, continually coming up with questions and building that mystery. Uh, but I would say with mine, there have been some elements at the beginning that, um, the main character's brother disappears. And there are some characters that people thought, oh, we wanna see this character and this character. And I thought, no, we're not gonna to get to see that because it's not that kind of book. And then I thought, God, it has to happen. you know. And that was something that surprised me as I was writing. And I don't think 
I could have made it happen in the first draft necessarily because I had decided preemptively, oh, that's not going to happen. And then as I continued to work and, and the story was talking to me more, I thought, this is really where it's going. This is the final, you know, I, I don't want to say too much, but that climax. And so I think being really open to asking those questions, um, I think also in sort of smaller ways of mystery that has been useful to me, I sometimes will have a character or have a scene and think, I don't know, this isn't really working well. And as I continue to revise, I think, oh man, that is why that character is here. That character is here to, to show up at this moment and, and tell us this information. And so for me, it's very much discovering these questions that I have, like, I don't know what this is doing in those kind of tangles and snarls, these seeds for a more nuanced story, more texture in your narrative. Yes, yes. And it makes me think, um, so Flannery O'Connor had a short story uh, in which, uh, I think I should have the name of the story, but in which there was a car salesman or a guy that was uh, obsessed with cars in the story. And so he found a local family that had this amazing car sitting out in the driveway and he was completely in love with this car. Um, and the family had a daughter who uh, was either mentally or physically uh, incapacitated in some way. And so he decided he wanted the car. And in order to get the car, he was going to marry the daughter. Um, so he marries the daughter. And the end of the story, they drive off in the car together. And he opens the door, I believe, and kicks the daughter out <laughs> and then keeps driving. So Flannery O'Connor had a lot of trouble with this story, though, because readers said to her, what happened to the daughter? And for her, the story was about him. The story was about the man. And for Flannery O'Connor, she always was arguing for that, the, that your story is trying to reveal the mystery of the character to us. And so the character's mystery that was most important to her was mm. the man, not, not the daughter. And the, so she would also say, sometimes readers don't want to read the story that you want to tell. But so that also means you need to hold, you might need to really hold firm to your idea of the story you want to tell. So, and Jessica, I know when we worked on your novel, mm -hmm. um, there's a, there's a um, kidnapper character in the novel. And, and, and because I'm such a crime reader and love that stuff, I was like, Jessica, we need to find out more about the kidnapper. And Jessica, but, but I also was trying to not tell you that because yeah. I thought, well, maybe this is not the story that Jessica wants to tell. Right. Um, which I think you very importantly held on to the story that you wanted to tell. Um, only now you're actually are gonna look for it, the ah, kidnapper, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I think, I think it's, it's important that you mm, held on to that. And I think it's, there, you know, it, as in the Flannery O'Connor thing, I'm, I'm not that I'm, you know, not at all comparing myself to Flannery O'Connor, but it. that uh, well, here, well, hey, let's do it. Yeah, um, <laughs> that in in the you know, there's the story of the brother who's abducted, but my story is about the brother who's left behind. So in yeah. some ways, I didn't want to go there, but then I was like, you know, part of my story is about this brother's childhood having gone missing as well, and having his experiences of like you know innocence and family, and of feelings of home stripped away from him, even though he remained and wasn't abducted. So I was like, he needs to confront that abductor, not just on his brother's behalf, but for you know himself. So yeah. that eventually came about and, and I realized, no, no, it's really, really part of his story too. 
Yes. And so you would think um, as my, as someone that's giving feedback to Jessica who wanted that in the first place that I'd feel very satisfied that she eventually found that, but I actually don't because I worry that, you know, <laughs> did I leave her there, lead her there falsely. Um, so this is very important when you're giving feedback and then when you're also receiving feedback, what is the person's story that they want to tell and try not to let your own interests or uh, biases or reading preferences overwhelm the story that they're trying to tell just in terms of feedback. And then as a writer, paying attention to your pages because Jessica, you only found that because you're paying attention to the pages and you're paying attention to the emotional arc of your main character, which was so important. Um, Emily, for you, you've had, we worked on your novel, um, Half in Love with Death, and you've been working on your novel, The Black Sea. I mean, how are ways that you um, were trying to establish mystery, that you pulled back on mystery, that you decided to give more on? What were some real trouble spots um, in one of your novels that you were trying to work through? Um, I think, well, this is actually, it's a trouble spot more in my current novel because I'm more embracing the traditional mystery form but I also wrestled with it a little bit and half in love with death and it's sort of balancing that the character driven dreamy poetic aspect of my story which I, I very much am comfortable with and love with the need to rein it in with clues and reveals and and, and, and you know get it into the, the structure of a mystery and with my second novel I really over many revisions, you know, I, I begin with kind of allowing every little subconscious image to just flow in there because often, you know, 20 revisions later, they might actually be useful and imaginative. But then when I got to the point of, okay, how do they solve the crime? When does it get solved? What are the clues? Um, I think initially I erred on the side of too much explanation and too many clues because I was really nervous. Am I doing it right? Is yeah. Sleuth doing it right? And then it, it was, you know, from reader feedback and, and just from getting more comfortable with what I was doing, it was this, this major thing, learn to trust the reader. Mm. You don't have to like, and there are different styles of writing mysteries, but you don't have to hold their hand through every step and every step of the process doesn't have to be sound logically you know you can trust the story and trust the reader and I think as you discover your characters and the story you want to tell that stuff gets easier but I have to be really honest I really really still struggle with it a bit um but that's amazing I love that learn to trust the reader um and of course we're all writing on so you're basically writing on a continuous line of how much your what reader that you're writing for. So if you're writing highly, highly commercial beach reads, maybe even Daniel Steele's sort of work, you're probably feeding your reader a lot more. Yeah. Um, whereas if you're working in the in the other direction, you might be more com comfortable with testing your reader more and giving your reader more work to do. And that's up to you to um, decide where do I want to fall on the line and getting feedback from readers will also help you kind of negotiate that. Um, but, but there is, there's not, everyone's going to be wanting to give as much to the reader or withhold as much to the reader. Um, and so, and that's okay, but you just have to determine for yourself who you are as a writer and, and how much you want to test the reader. And Jessica, you were also smiling a little bit as Emily said that in terms of trusting the reader, did it, 
click something for you? Absolutely. And, and part of it is I love hearing Emily speak. I, I love Emily's writing and, and love to talk to her about craft. But um, I, uh, you know, I think for me, it's a real challenge that I want to make sure things are laid out, even just sort of like character nuances and dynamics between characters. But there really is, I do feel that writing is is a collaborative project and that the reader is part of that project. And so if in a way I put something out and I've answered all the questions and everything is neatened and tidied, I haven't left room for the reader to be a part of that story. And I, I but I do struggle with it. I think it's it's hard because I, I want to be a good host and I want to make sure they <laughs> feel comfortable. But I also need to leave room for them to, you know, be part of the party. So I think there's that kind of interactive collaborative thing. And also I think that in mystery, like you have to build doubt and apprehension and that's what keeps people reading that if you have no doubt if you have no wariness I mean it's kind of like was it I think this might have actually been in Michelle's class but I think it's Donald Moss who said like there's like a discomfort that the reader needs to feel and that's what keeps them turning the pages because that's the only way to alleviate it is to read forward yes perfect I have to kind of remember that reader, that kind of good faith reader and give them that space because otherwise I know they won't want to continue with the story and I want them to stay with me. Yeah. So Julie in the chat has a very important question. Emily, maybe you can take this first. Are mystery writers by definition plotters? I think, you know, mystery writers aren't a homogenous group. Um, Some of them, there are mystery writers out there. In fact, I was that are that are pantsers. I I think to an extent to pull off a traditional mystery, you have to at least be a hybrid because um, you do need to pull the plot together. Um, But but Tanya French, I think, isn't Tanya French? I I was going to mention Tanya French because she's not a plotter. She's not a plotter. And I was shocked to find that out because her, her mysteries are so intricate and they're so clever and her characters are so well drawn. And I think I, I read that she actually does not know the killer in early drafts because she said, if I did, if I had decided who the killer was, I would telegraph it and point big red arrows at them. So I love to write not knowing because then I, I sort of naturally create um, red herrings. So I think it's, you know, as a mystery writer, you do what works for you as a writer. And there are all kinds of different writers out there. Um, and, you know, I'm sure there are mystery writers you know, that, that definitely outline down to the finest point. I think maybe it's Dorothy Sayers did that or Agatha Christie, and then they just go and they and they are able to, to work that way. And there are other mystery writers like me. I'm more of a, a muddle through mystery writer, you know, where I, I leave a lot open because it's, it's a mis- if it's a mystery to me, the first couple drafts, it, 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 you know, as, as Jessica said, you have more of that element of doubt and, and, and strangeness that keeps people going. So you know. I love that. So and also and then the chat, um, Henriette Lazaridis, who's going to be a guest on the show uh, later, says, well, maybe that's proof that as par- as apparently mystery writers say, Tanya French doesn't really write mysteries, which I, was, I said, Don't, do they say that? I guess I don't know. I don't- I think she writes mysteries. I think that the, the definition of mystery is very colorful and very broad. And, you know, I, I think people think Sherlock Holmes, but there's a bazillion other kinds of um, 
mysteries out there. Yeah. And so Henriette's like, well, maybe they're just pissed off at her because she breaks the rules. <laughs> maybe. Because <laughs> I, I do think the fact, the idea that a mystery writer would not plot their mystery out ahead of them and would not know who the actual killer is freaks a lot of writers out and readers. Like, how can you possibly create that? But so basically what she's doing is following her own questions mm through the manuscript and following the mystery. And she is basically reading her manuscript as she writes it like a reader, which must have its own magic and power. But then as Emily, I think was talking about a lot of mystery writers are like, no, you got to know who the killer is from the get go. You've got to figure out the, the mystery from the get go and write towards that. Um, Jessica, we have Jessica's um, cat tail here, which I love <laughs> for part of these webinars. Yes. Um, are you, I can't remember, are you a plotter? Are you a pantser? Do you think out the mystery ahead of time? Uh, I, I don't always. So what I would say is that I'm a lot of people are somewhere in between those two. And for me, I think, I guess, you know, having this first novel, that's a more complex novel. I've written short stories. I've written kind of novels before, but now this is a more a, a kind of textured novel. I'm sorry. She's making a lot of noise um, <laughs> that uh, I have found out I'm more of a plotter than I had realized. I just thought like, oh, I, I love language and I love writing. And then I've talked to friends and they're like, oh, but there's so much happening in your story. I'm like, I guess there is. So it sort of has taken me by surprise how much of a plotter I am. Yeah. Um, but I think that the more, again, if I could have that kind of clarity, like what's my through line? You know, what's, what's the signature of the main character? Like what's that person looking for? What are they seeking? Then that gives me room to kind of have more shadowy areas and have mystery so it helps me a little bit to as I go and that's the pants part I guess discovering what is that clear journey that that can give us space for yeah and so and I think so much of that too is we're not going to care about the mystery we're not going to care about the ghost that walks in the room unless we care about the characters that those things are affecting um and so some and and I think what writers can do is that they can plot the hell out of it and create all sorts of amazing ghosts and all sorts of amazing mysteries. But if they aren't remaining awake to discovering their main character um, and the questions behind their main character and, and again, paying attention to what's happening on the page and allowing their character to, to lead more so than, than allowing their plotting to, read, to lead, mm. um, they, they can get themselves in real trouble um, because it really is the character at hand. So, and Jessica, part of the discovery that you made was in order for me to complete my character's mystery or character's arc, I needed this other part of the story, right? Yes, yes. right. definitely. Um, Emily, are there ways that you felt you had to deepen your protagonist to, because we were talking a lot this last week about character determines incident incident reveals character so that, and this is particularly important in mystery, the event that you throw at your character needs to some way, hopefully resonate very, very deeply with who your character is, their past hangups, um, their, their past uh, even traumas possibly, so that it speaks to them more than it would anybody else. Um, so Emily, are there ways that you've had to kind of go back in and really work on that main character um, to allow them to lead, because you had a, you have a female detective, right? That you've yep. been basically beating your head on a little bit. Yep. <laughs> um, I think I will never write another mystery without understanding the characters first. <laughs> I think um, yeah. 
when I wrote this mystery, I was so concerned with learning to be a plotter. And I think I did learn to be a plotter from writing it. I learned a lot about plot. But then I had to go back and the very painful process of letting my character push the plot more mm. and letting my le letting my character and plot meld more. And I did with my detective, she she underwent a lot of changes in, in the course of the revision of the book, including um, in this case, um, she always was a detective who was also an artist, um, you know, because that was her background as a childhood and she experienced a very violent event in her childhood. And I really um, had went back to the artist in her yeah. to, to find her character and find who she was and allow her to break the mold of the detective a little, you know, not to worry, you know, not to have this imposter syndrome. She's not a proper detective. She's not doing what a cop would do. And, you know, allow that part of her that was different, that was an artist to drive the book more. And honestly, the next time I write a mystery, I don't want to have to go back and fit that in. That was very, very difficult. Because um, it's almost, it feels impossible. It's a rewrite. Yeah. It's, a, it's a rewrite, of, a reconception of the book. Yeah. And I and so that's also about clarity too, I think. Um, and that might take, it might take a lot of writing to find the clarity of your main character. So I think on the page again, in terms of clarity, I always think, okay, we at least need to know, you know, at the end of the first page, we should at least have some idea of where we are, when we are, and who is in the room. We might, we probably don't necessarily need to know, we don't need to know people's motivations right away. Uh, we don't need to know why Fred only wears red socks right away. Um, and um, we don't need to know, you know, the characters' backgrounds. We don't need to know how they met, how, you know, how a couple met. We don't know how, need to know how Fred's dad died or how close he was to his dad. Um, we just need right in front of us to be clear. And a lot of the rest of that can be questions that lead us through. Hopefully, eventually we will find out about it. But the writer needs to know those things. Because if the writer doesn't know kind of the motivations and the deeper emotional undercurrent um, of the scenes that they're writing, I feel like they're just not it's not going to be clear to them and they're going to be chasing after the mystery um, uh, and chasing after the action and not, and not really following and being true to the, too true to the character. Um, and then Judith is asking in the chat in a book, that's not a mystery. Can a character's motivation for an important act that drives the book be a mystery to themselves? So can the character's own motivation be a mystery to themselves? Jessica, what do you think? Absolutely. I think that one of the main reasons we do continue to turn the page and read is we're seeing the character change. So one thing is that they have something that they probably want at the beginning because that helps invite us in as readers and, and identify like, okay, they want this thing. So maybe I want that for them. But as it goes along, we really see how much what they want is kind of almost like a mask for what they truly need. And so I think that invariably, like as is most of us in life, what we really need is, is kind of hidden from us by this layer of like the, the noise of what the, the external thing that we want. So I think that's actually a great approach to come in. And, and also, yeah, I think as you're, um, as many people are maybe working on their first drafts, like listening to this podcast with that kind of in mind. And I like that idea that 
we will discover through drafts and through revisions what these characters want to need. And you might not know it on the outset in the first go, and it will emerge as you continue to focus on this story. So don't yeah. feel like you have to know what the character wants at the beginning or what their what their true need is even. That is something that will um, come become clear to you as, as you continue to work. As long as you allow yourself to, to go back to the beginning and continue to revise. Yeah. Yes, um, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Um, cause I have read novels in which the character doesn't know what they want. And that's, that's like the final draft. Well, my character does, is figuring out what they want mm. <laughs> through the book. And I'm like, yeah, but that's, um, uh, so, so yeah. Oh, go oh, ahead. No, just that a way to deal with that is to give them something to want at the beginning. And it might, it's not going to be where they end up. Otherwise, you know, we wouldn't want to go through that journey with them. There wouldn't be a story to tell, but give them something to want, like start with something that they want. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's an excellent way to do it because again, you've got, to me, you have the concrete goal and then you have the abstract needs or yearnings or desires underneath it. And so the character is following the, the plot of the story is following that concrete goal, but you've got all this complicated needs and yearnings and emotional stuff underneath it. And eventually by the climax, those two catch up on each other. And I always go back to um, uh, James Joyce's story, Araby, in which we have a young boy who's been trying to get a, a young a, a trinket for a girl that he likes. Um, and the whole story, he's been trying to get to this market so that he can buy this trinket because he thinks it's gonna get the girl he likes. And the whole story is focused on that. But when he finally gets to the market, the market is closing down and the woman is standing at the table and she says, she says, well, do you want anything? And, and the climax of the story is he says no, because he realizes this trinket's not going to do anything for him. He realizes this is the greater darkness and confusion behind his life. He realizes how young he is. He realizes his own um, <clears throat> just powerlessness. I mean, it's so much deeper. Um, so yes. Um, so that was James Joyce's story, Araby, you can look at. I, I love the way the, the concrete goal and the, in the, the, external, the, the internal mystery and confusion and emotional um, yearning comes through in that story. Okay. Um, we need to go. We could talk, we, Emily and Jessica, I mean, I wanted to go back to Emily, but we can go. Um, but I need to get everyone to their desk. It's Monday and you guys have a lot of writing you have to do. So, um, so I want you to get to your desk and, uh, and tomorrow we're going to start our whole week talking about what is a scene. And we're going to have Susan Bernhard uh, talking about scene versus summary. Um, and if you support what we're doing, uh, please share, follow, or rate the 7am Novelist podcast. You can find it on Substack or other podcast platforms. And you can also find our full schedule at 7amnovelist.substack.com. Uh, Jessica and Emily, thank you so, so much for everything that you brought to this discussion. You're absolutely fabulous. And look for both of these brothers, uh, both of these books to be coming out soon, eventually, The Black Sea and The Other Brother. Okay, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Emily and Jessica. Do you really understand how you sift for a love in the sand? Like a leaf inside the wind, and you go where it tells you to go. But you never wonder why there isn't nothing here.